Well, take your Bible this morning and uh, go ahead and open it to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we've been studying here in this last words, these last words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've titled the message this week, The Holy Spirit's Role Today. Uh, Many people have questions regarding the Holy Spirit, and we'll be talking about, I think I've got two messages in front of me on the Holy Spirit's role today. Certainly it comes in a historical narrative. Certainly some things are said to the apostle, but certainly his role carries on today. I would have to tell you, just as we open to John 15, certainly that the most ignored, most disregarded, most insulted, and most, most rip, misrepresented person in the Trinity is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And far from neglecting this doctrine, one of the beauties when you exposit from the scriptures is you hit the doctrines, and we're going to hit the role and the function of the Holy Spirit. But clearly, his person, out of all of the triune God, is ignored, disregarded, misrepresented, and even insulted as to what his work is, and we're going to see that in the weeks to come. Certainly, when we begin to talk about the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is a person. In other words, when we say that he is a person, theologically speaking, personhood is bound up usually in three things, the intellect, the will, and the emotions. And when you look at the totality of Scripture, and the Holy Spirit's all over, he's mentioned in every book in the New Testament and all but six in the Old Testament, he possesses under personhood first intellect. In fact, you'll see this come up on the screen. This is just a sample that the Holy Spirit is a person. It is not a force. It is not an it. It is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person. And and you see that personhood by way of the Holy Spirit's intellect. He counsels and he imparts wisdom. He inspired the scripture. We know that from those texts. He intercedes for you. He does that in Romans 8. He knows. In other words, he possesses personhood, intellect. He knows. He possesses a mind, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We will look at this morning one of those features of personhood that he provides or he gives truth. And we'll look at that specifically in 15 26. He teaches. He speaks. It says there in all those verses. He teaches. John 14, 26. We've already looked at that. And then finally, he testifies. Those are all bound up under his intellect. He is a person. He carries the features that are essential to personhood. Go on to this next part. I'm just giving you a glance at his work. The Holy Spirit possesses in his person volition. I like to use the word will. He contends with sinners. Acts 7.51, Genesis 6.3. He directs. In other words, he's moving. He's directing. He distributes spiritual gifts. 
1 Corinthians 12, 11, Hebrews 2, 4. I could say it this way. He's given you a spiritual gift, and I hope you're not sitting on that. I hope you're putting that into practice. And you think, well, I, I, where do I put that into practice? Go to the tent today and somehow use that gift, whatever it may be, to serve our children. But the, the Spirit gives those gifts. He gives those sovereignly he gives them. You don't pick the gift you want. You can't exchange your gift at the exchange counter. He gives them out. Of course, we know from John's gospel that he regenerates. You say, well, Scott, what does that mean? It means that he causes men and women to be born again. He gives them new life. You are born from above, not from below. The Spirit is the one who does that. So he has intellect. He possesses will. Go on to the next slide. I'm just giving you a sample here. The, the Holy Spirit bears e emotions, if you will. He experiences joy. The Holy Spirit, according to Hebrews, can be insulted. You, you, you can only insult a person. He grieves, we know that, over sin. He grieves because he's a person in the triune God, and certainly he loves, and so he bears those features of emotion. Now, as you look on, one of the features of the Holy Spirit and even evidence for the Trinity is the names that are used in relationship to the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit and God the Father. It is called His Spirit, My Spirit, Your Spirit. Where can we flee from Your Spirit, Your Holy Spirit? He's called the promise of the Father. He's the Spirit of our God. He's the Spirit of living God. He is the Spirit of your Father. He is the Spirit of our Lord, the Lord who is Spirit. They're mentioned in Corinthians and so many more. And then you have this relationship, the Holy Spirit and the Son. The Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Jesus. In other words, there's relationship within the Trinity. There's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. There is the Spirit of the Lord. There is the Spirit of His Son. And then, of course, you have some names that are unique to the Holy Spirit, or even here is the attributes. He's the Spirit of counsel and might. He's the Spirit of faith. He's the Spirit of glory, the Spirit of grace. These are all His attributes. The Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of life. We'll look at that today. He's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We will look at this one today. He's identified as the helper. He is in the Greek, the parakletos. He is, the King James says, he is the comforter. But one of his names, one of his attributes is to help, is to help you. He is in your life to assist you to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are some of his attributes. So the Holy Spirit, beloved, is the third person of the Trinity, and it's our privilege to look at some of his names even this day and some of his function in the life of believers today. So look in, in John's gospel. We come to the section here in John chapter 15, another crucial section on the Holy Spirit, and it's set within the context of the world's hatred. Let me read it for you, and I'll read 18 through 27. Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because you do, they do not know him uh, who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, he said, because you have been with me from the beginning. May God bless his word. Now, I remind you, as we find ourselves here, we've been there for some weeks now. Remember, it's Thursday night of Passion Week. It is on the eve of the cross. These are, what we're reading, are some of the most significant pieces in all of the New Testament. It is the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ before he would die and before he would ascend into glory. At least the last words of his earthly ministry. He has been preparing the disciples that he will be leaving them. Do you remember it was this very night that Judas had departed from that Passover table. Jesus now, if you look back at chapter 14, look at verse 31. He said, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. 1431, rise, let us go from here. And we believe he left that upper room and was making his way through Jerusalem, down into the Kidron Valley, and then up into the into Gethsemane where he would pray and we will see those things in John chapter 18. And so as he's walking and proceeding on his way to his arrest and to be tried and crucified, he's talking with the disciples. Now you remember these disciples are crushed at least in chapter 14. They are sorrowful. They are overwhelmed. He said to them in 14.1, do not let your heart be troubled And so they're asking the question, how do I carry on without him? And what our Lord does here is he comforts them. He comforts us even this morning. He promises heaven to them at the beginning of John 14. He promises them the eternal life as he's been communicating here in John's gospel. And certainly he promises the person and the presence of the coming Holy Spirit. Now, as you step into this text, don't forget that all of this is surrounded in these commands to love one another. He tells them that in 13.1 and 13.34 in chapter 15.10 and 15.12. But that theme of love, as we come into John chapter 15 now, in verse 18, dramatically changes. He kept telling them to love one another, but as soon as you get to verse 18, he mentions the word hate And it appears about seven times in the verses that follow. 
So you might be able to say that a night of love turns into a night of hate. And the disciples are seeking to understand that while they are loved by the Savior, they will be hated by the world. I think I reminded you uh, at least a couple of weeks ago that in all of church history, they would say that about 70 million Christians have been killed for their faith. I mean, sometimes we just get lost in our day and age of information. 70 million killed since the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say that that's a conservative number. And I think I reminded you that out of that 70 million, two-thirds have been killed since the 20th century. So as we sit here in a place of comfort, there are people being murdered and hundreds of thousands have been killed since 1990 and they are still being killed. And the question would arise, why is there persecution then? Why is there persecution now? I read something this week that in Ethiopia that at least uh, three pastors are being killed every week for their faith. I mean, why the persecution then and why the persecution now? This text is going to help identify the problem and not only identify the problem, offer helpful instruction to us. And I think what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing for these disciples and what he's doing for you is he's telling his disciples that when I'm removed from this world, the hatred once spewed out on me would now come to you. And so he's prepping these disciples, he's prepping these apostles to stand ready. He said, well, why would he do that? Look again at 16.1. Jesus said there, I have said all these things to you, and I just take that to you. He's talking to the disciples here. To keep you from what? Falling away. It's an interesting Greek word. It means to be, the Greek word is skandalizo. I'm telling you these things to keep you from being scandalized. In other words, to be forewarned is to be forearmed, we might say. He's telling the disciples this truth, and I think the Spirit of God would say that to us. Obviously, we've not yet lived through an age of national persecution. Some of us have had personal persecution and whatever that might be to each of us individually, but we need to take heart and listen to identify the problem as well as to um, see what he's done to help us. In fact, look at 16, 1 through 4. He said, I said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering what? Service to God, meaning that this is probably going to be so-called religious persecution. Verse 3, they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And so he's preparing them. He's preparing us. Now let me just divide this section into two ways that you can see this together. And we've already touched on the first one. But first, we're hated by the world. That's 18 through 25. Make sure you listen to that a couple weeks 
back. And then secondly, we are helped by the Holy Spirit. This is what he tells the apostles. You're going to be hated by the world first. And then secondly, you are going to be helped by the Holy Spirit, specifically in 26 and 27. So first he says to them, we're hated by the world. And he explains here the world's opposition. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Of course, the target is the Lord Jesus Christ. If it hated me, it's going to hate you. In other words, we know from biblical revelation that we are aliens. We are strangers in the world. And he's telling the disciples this. Look at verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, he says, they will persecute you. And so he explains here the world's opposition. It comes, Jesus Christ is the target of that persecution, that hostility in here, that hatred. But then secondly, under the hatred of the world, he exposes the world's guilt. And he does that in verses 22 through 24. And he exposes the world's guilt through two features. One, namely, by the words of Christ. And secondly, by the works of Christ. And he basically says this world in which he spoke and is, is condemned It's condemned, why? Because of the words of Christ. Because of the works of Jesus Christ that came from the Father. So he explains the world's opposition. He exposes the world's guilt. And and he's hated for it. And at times we're hated for it. You say, well, Scott, does that hatred and rejection of the Savior jeopardize the plan of God? And the answer would be no, because look down in the text. At verse 25, he said, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. Here it is. They hated me without a cause. In other words, don't be surprised. They hated the Savior without a cause. In other words, he did nothing. He was guiltless. He was sinless, if you will. They hated him without a cause. Now, what the Lord's doing here, you can study that on your own. He's quoting Psalm 69.4. And Psalm 69.4 says, More in number than the hairs of my head are those, the psalmist said in 69.4, who hate me without a cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. So we call that a messianic psalm. It was fulfilled when the psalmist wrote that in 69.4, but it looked forward to a messianic age here when Jesus Christ said, they hated me without a cause. So, beloved, I want to assure you this morning that God remains sovereign, and this demonstrates his perfect control. The plan of God is not out of control. It said in Psalm 69.4 that they would hate me without a cause, and that was true. They hated him without a cause. Now, the question then, as we dive into the particular section here is, how do you respond to persecution? How do you respond to this kind of hostility? This kind of hatred, I'm really asking you. I mean, do you just, uh, there could be a number of things. Do you just take a low profile? I mean, today, do you just not say anything? Do you just not want to 
be vocal? Do you just not want to ruffle anybody's feathers? Are, are you, how do you respond in this age? How do, you, how do you respond to the truth of Christ? Do you just retreat in your Christian ghetto? I mean, I hope not. I mean, I, I love our church. I love you. And, and there's so many good things going on. In fact, I heard there was a number of visitors at the women's conference yesterday. But our heart together is not to retreat into a Christian ghetto. In fact, the reason we're doing Summerfest and Kids Fest is to proclaim the gospel. Okay? And so we want you to bring people to hear, as you heard there, the, the best news. What's exciting about this text, though, in answer to those questions, is that heaven dispenses to us the third person of the Trinity to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. He dispenses to us a promise. He dispenses to you a blessing. Our Lord here promises the coming of the Holy Spirit to testify in this world. And what's fascinating in this is that we join in that witness of the Holy Spirit to tell others about Christ. He testifies, but you testify as well. What a privilege, and I would even say what a responsibility. Met with a young man in our church even this morning, uh, Tyler Tartalia. So exciting to see what God has done in his life to redeem him and now to see his desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit's going to testify. We'll see that. But we're called to testify. So let me just say this. You say, what do I do in light of this hatred? Well, victory, let me be clear, is not found in isolation. Okay? In other words, God hasn't called you to a holy huddle. God hasn't called your family to a holy huddle. God has called you to be salt. God has called you to be light. Okay? He's called us to serve and to proclaim the gospel empowered by the Spirit of God. So I take you from we are hated by the world here to our point this morning is that we are helped by the Holy Spirit. Okay? You say, well, what specifically, Scott? Well, let me just take you into this text. I can't tell you all of it, but here I can prescribe and describe what this text is telling you. I want to look at three essential characteristics of the Holy Spirit that are laid out for us in 15, 26, and 27 that enable you to be a witness in this world in the face of hostility. Okay? So what, what do we learn here? Hated by the world, but helped by the Spirit. How? Look at number one. We'll identify this first essential as he is identified by name. He is identified by name. Look at the text in 26. But when the helper comes, he said, whom I will send to you from the Father, then he's called this the Spirit of truth. Let's stop there just for a second. Say, tell me more about the Holy Spirit. Well, he's identified by name here. This may not be surprising to many of you. He is called here 
This is one of his names. He's called the helper. That's who he is. So how can I understand the role of the Holy Spirit today? Well, what, what was stated here is true today. He's the helper. He is, and the Greek term is, you've heard this maybe before, the parakletos. The parakletos. He is the one who comes alongside. Sometimes we even use that phrase, helper, to say that he's the counselor, okay? In other words, he's the helper, he's the counselor. If you're holding a King James Bible today, it might even use the word, the comforter is coming to you. Here we have the word helper. Now you have to understand when he identifies him by name and says the helper, the Holy Spirit is not subordinate to the Trinity. He is not inferior to the triune God. He possesses all the attributes of personhood that we looked at, but his role is defined here. He is the helper. The comforter is okay, but as I told you a couple months ago, it sounds like a quilt, you know, do you know, he's a comforter. Well, it's much more than that. What is a helper, Scott? Well, it's an advocate. The, the helper is one who, an advocate is one who represents you at court. The Holy Spirit, if you will, stands at your side to plead your case. The Holy Spirit is a person who is called along your side to comfort you, to help you, to teach you, to admonish you, to guide you. In other words, they're going to face this hatred and hostility, but Jesus said, I am going to give you the helper to comfort, to teach, to admonish, to guide you. He is of the same essence with the Father and the Son, but the Holy Spirit's role and function is distinct. In fact, do you remember in John 14 earlier, the Holy Spirit is called, in fact, let me show you this. Look over at 1426. There it says, he's called the, the helper, and you can, you can see that. In fact, it's in verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you, now, he uses that phrase, another helper. Helper is, of course, parakletos, but he gives you another. And, and the, the thought there is Jesus says, I'm departing, I will die, I will be buried, I will rise on the third day, I will come back and appear to you in Galilee, I will ascend into glory, but when I leave, I am sending to you a helper. I'm sending to you another helper. What Jesus is telling these disciples, which is to you too, I'm sending you another like me. In other words, he's physically gone from us, but I'm sending you another like me. Now, when you use that phrase, another helper, it implies that there was another helper, and I'm giving you another one. Well, who's the first one? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was called an advocate in 1 John 2, 1, we have an advocate in heaven. We have a parakletos in heaven. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here he's saying, I'm going to send you another like myself who takes my place, who does my work. I'm going to give you another helper like me. In fact, 
Isn't this why, look down in your Bible in chapter 16 and verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth in 16.7. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, here it is, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he will be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit, if you will, steps in because the physical presence of Christ will ascend into glory. Now he steps in here to, as we'll see in a moment, to bear witness to the person of Christ and to be our helper in the Christian life. I think it's why he said to the the disciples in 14.8, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And he said there in 14.8, I'm going to come back to you. And I think he was talking there of the resurrection. But I also think there was an implied thought that I'm coming back in the person of the Spirit and through the work of the Spirit. So he's identified by name. Put this together in your theology. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. He has all the essential ingredients of personhood. But here he's identified by name. He's called the helper. In chapter 14, he's the other helper, another helper. But there's a second name here. Look, in verse 26, he's called there. Do you see the text? It says he's called the spirit of truth. Now, he's called that in chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 as well. So what is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the spirit of truth. What does that mean? Well, he reveals, he reveals truth. And and I'm pausing here. It's not in my notes. In other words, he's not a feeling that you're going to get. He's not an emotion, though he bears emotions. He is the spirit of truth. And when the Bible talks about truth, it's truth as a body of knowledge. And so he is not only the helper, but he's the spirit of truth. He reveals truth. Now, beloved, we know that Jesus himself is the what? The way, the the truth, and the life. We know in John 17, 17, it says there that thy word is truth. So we know that the Holy Spirit imparts the knowledge of God and God's character, even bound up in his name, is he is a God of truth. And so let me say this, the Holy Spirit points people to the person of Christ He is the spirit of truth, and within the Godhead, there is no lie. There is no falsity. There is no false doctrine. Whatever the spirit is doing today, his role today, he's your helper, and we'll say more about that, but he is the spirit of truth. In fact, look over at chapter 16. This is the work of the spirit of God. Look at 1613, and again, it's set in future language. The Spirit of God would be revealed at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, about 40 days from now. But in verse 13, when, 1613, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, and I think he's talking to the apostles there, into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, not himself, not people, not giving people special messages that the Holy Spirit said this to me. Listen, beloved, I'm just giving you the scripture. He's the spirit of truth. He will glorify me. Look at verse 14. He will take what is mine. In other words, what is of the Lord and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And he's specifically talking there about this. The Spirit of God is going to remind the apostles of truth itself. In fact, Peter even used that language. These apostles were men spoke from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you say, what is this Spirit of truth? Well, it's a wonderful promise. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to the apostles who write it down for us in the Scriptures. That's his role. He's the spirit of truth. And when I see people today who keep saying, God told me this, and God said this, and the Holy Spirit revealed to me, and they're clearly wrong, well, I'm just telling you, you can hear that and just understand he's revealing truth to these apostles. And the implication here for you today is this. If you attack God's word you are attacking the entire Trinity. Because revelation comes from God, it's revealed in Christ, and the role of the Holy Spirit here is to declare, verse 13, that he will guide you all, guide you in all the truth. So number one, he's identified by name. He's the helper, he's the spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit in John 15 is identified by the sender, by the sender. You say, well, Scott, what do you mean by that? Well, look at the text. It's interesting. It says in 1526, whom I, Jesus speaking, will send to you from the Father. He even says a little bit later there in 26, who proceeds from the Father. So he, he says here that whom I will send from the Father. I will send. But Go back to 1416. Let's remember this. It says there, Jesus, he's promising the Spirit of God. I will ask the Father, and he, speaking of the Father, will give you another helper to be with you forever. But, so he says, I'm going to ask, the Father's going to give, but here, 1526. I'm going to send him to you. Look at chapter 16 in verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away, right? He says at the end of verse 7 of chapter 16. But if I go, I, I will send him to you. You say, well, Scott, who is it? Is it the father or the son? And the answer would be yes, it's both. The father and the son are in complete unity and harmony and purpose of mind to send the Holy Spirit to you even this day and to the apostles. Now, you do see all of the Trinitarian relationship 
here because Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus said in John 14, I will come to you. Then he said in John 14, the Father will come to you. In other words, he'll make his home with you. And then it's summed up in 1423, we will come to you. And now he says here again, the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. So he's identified by name. He's identified, if you will, by the sender, sent both by the Father. He proceeds from the Father. He asked the Father, but Jesus said, I will send him to you. Thirdly here now, he's identified by function. Identified by function. You say, what does he do in this text? Well, look at verse 26 again. He, the end, will bear witness about me. I love that. He's going to witness. He's going to testify is the word. The word was actually used in a law court. And we hear the case, if you will, argued by lawyers, first by the prosecution and then by the defense. And both of them call witnesses to substantiate their case. But in this case, the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness... It says there in verse 26 about me. In fact, you say, what does the Holy Spirit do? This will be next week. Look down at verse 8. When he comes, it's a person, he will convict the world, 16.8, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He said, look down at verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you unto all the truth. In other words, one of the chief functions in this text of the Holy Spirit. So, well, what does he do? Well, he bears witness about the person of who? the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not giving all these new messages, all these new feelings, all these new visions. He's bearing witness about me. So he's identified by function. He's bearing witness according to Revelation 1-2 about the testimony of Jesus Christ. In fact, do you even remember, you can finish the sentence, in Acts 1.8, when he's not talking about the apostles' witnesses, he, witness, he says, you shall be, what? My witnesses. A witness is for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about Christ. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, to him all the prophets bear witness And everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. So here clearly, when he's identified by function, he's talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, not the only one, but in this text, that he will bear witness about me. And so let me just say this. Missions, here's an implication for you, okay? And you know this, but I'll reiterate this to you. Missions is not about anthropology. It's not about sociology. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When you witness to someone, you are bearing witness that you may share your testimony, but ultimately your testimony is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Witnessing in that sense is not a discussion about religion. It's about the person of Christ. And the role and the function of the Holy Spirit has been given to bear witness about the person of Christ. It's always centered on Christ. You say, why is that? Well, because in Christ, namely his words and his works, God the Father is revealed. And so he's, his role is to champion Christ, to reveal Christ. In fact, look what he says to the apostles specifically in 27. He says, the Holy Spirit will bear witness about me. And let me just back up for one second. He, of course, does that, does he not, by convicting people of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can open blind eyes. Only the Holy Spirit can take someone who's dead and make them alive. That's a work of the Spirit of God, is it not? I mean, just go back just for a second to your salvation. Um, uh, There's a lot you can say about your salvation. And I could give you the mic and you can tell us. There's a lot that I could say about my testimony. But the bottom line 101 truth is this. At some point, (laughs) that's how it is for everyone. You were convicted of your sin. You were convicted of your duplicity. You were convicted that you were living for yourself. You were convicted and cut to the core of your heart that your life was all about you, all about your wants, all about your desires, all about your greed, all about your friendships, all about your girlfriends, your boyfriends, your habits. But but the Spirit of God dropped you. This is what a Christian is, and I'm not talking about a committed one. I'm just talking about a normal one. He drops you in your place, and all of a sudden, you almost as though an arrow comes out of heaven, you're convicted, and you drop to your knees, and you beg. You beat your breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What what is that? Well, it's the work of the Spirit of God, because you left to yourself would never think that on your own. And so when you're witnessing to people, you're praying, God, open these eyes. Open blind hearts. When I'm preaching, I'm praying for that right now in this place. Be seen and be heard. But he witnesses. He convicts of sin and judgment and the the person of Christ. But look at 27 just for a moment. It says there, and you. He says the Holy Spirit does that. But then he calls the, at least at this point, I'll be just accurate. It's not talking about you. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to the apostles, the 11 of them. Matthias would be added. You are going to bear witness. I love this because you have been with me from the beginning. In other words, the apostles, and you can go through the New Testament, were called to be eyewitnesses to the life and work of Christ And they testified to us in this scripture about the life and work of Christ. And so they played a a huge role. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to bear witness about me. But you, verse 27, 
will also bear witness. Why? Because you've been with me from the beginning. I think what John's talking about is John 1.14. Remember when he said that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, verse 14, and the word became flesh. And, and then John here says, and he dwelt among us. In other words, he says, we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father. In other words, they were witnesses of Christ. They wrote the scripture down. In fact, it says this. You can write it down in 532 of Acts. We are witnesses. They said that in Acts 532. To these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. In other words, these apostles played such a crucial role. How will we carry on? How are we going to move through this hostility? Well, let me tell you. Jesus says, you're going to be helped by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to, the Spirit going to bear witness of Christ, but you will also be my witnesses. Do you remember when Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 1.16? We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Talking there in 2 Peter 1.16 about the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ when he peeled back his flesh. When he peeled back, if you will, his humanness. And he revealed the glory to them. Glory that was so bright in Mark chapter 9 that they fell on their faces. He revealed to them the glory that was his before the incarnation. And John, and now here, Peter says, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. And Jesus says to them, look at verse 16. You've been with me from the beginning. And I think it's the beginning of his earthly ministry. You might even be saying, well, Scott, why is that significant? Well, because you're holding in your hand a copy of the inerrant word of God delivered to you, okay, by over 40 different authors, 1,500 different years, and you're, you're given the word. We're studying the gospel of John. John's telling you he was an eyewitness of this. In fact, do you remember? You don't have to turn there. I don't even know if it comes up here in 1 John. It might come up. Go to the next slide. I don't know if this comes up. That which was from the beginning, just like Jesus said, which we have heard, John says, which we've seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon, we've touched, he said, with our hands concerning the word of life, and that life was made, I love that word, manifest, it appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this is the role of the Holy Spirit here. He's going to bear witness and he's telling these apostles who things seem to appear to be unraveling, listen, no, I'm going to, you're also going to bear witness. And these men would be carried along by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. But can I just say this to you? It's not only to them. We understand the greater revelation. We are called to be witnesses to Christ today. You, you know it by heart. Acts 1.8. 
shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my, what? Witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So listen, our Lord just says here, we're going to be his witnesses. He, we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're ambassadors for Christ. So listen, let me tell you what's here before us. You're going to be hated by the world. You're going to be helped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is identified by name. He's identified by the sender. He's identified by function. And that is what the Word of God says.